This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. So welcome to a bonus edition of the Growing Up Rock Podcast. It appears that some of the listeners have been asking for uh, some more of the solo episodes where either Sonny or myself are just doing a solo episode. Uh, So this episode is exactly that. Last weekend, I attended the Rocklanta weekend-long concert that was put on by Bradley Entertainment and Tribal One Productions, which I got to tell you, I've never heard of Tribal One Productions, so I can only assume that those are, aka, the investors of this fine event. The lineup was a great mixture of newer hard rock bands and a few classic, more established hard rock bands. Uh, They even had a few rare opportunities for you to see bands like Taiketo, which I think this is their only U.S. appearance this year. Dangerous Toys, which unless you live in Texas, you don't have the opportunity to see Dangerous Toys every day. And then they bought over a band from Sweden called Hardcore Superstar, uh, which has been around for several years. And we'll get into their performance a little bit later on. But I wanted to do sort of a recap of the weekend events. Uh, There's a bunch of pictures and videos floating around out there on Facebook and on the internet. But I figured why not hear it straight from the horse's mouth. And while I'm at it, I'm going to play some kick-ass tunes from some of the newer bands that were playing Rocklanta this past weekend. All right, so kick back. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so Growing Ups of the Week, I'm going to make this real quick. Thanks to my co-host, Hollywood Pooney, for everything he brings to the show. And thanks to all of the awesome people that I met at Rocklanta, including Heather, and her friend Amy, who were responsible for hooking me up with a ticket so that my wife could attend the event. And a shout out to my friend, Will. I met this kid, Will, at the Tesla show here in Atlanta a while back. He was on the barrier for that. And he's just a, he's a younger hard rock fan. And I swear, Will never left the barrier the entire weekend of Rocklanta. So that was really cool to see. Because, you know, I worry about the next generation of rock fans. And uh, Will definitely is hardcore into hard rock. So really glad that he was there. Nick, who came all the way from Australia for this event. Crazy cool. That was a long way to travel. And so, Nick, shout out to you. You are very cool. Met you. Gave you a t-shirt for the Grown Up Rock podcast. And then Michelle from Shaking the Rafters with Michelle on Rock Rage Radio. She was very cool as well. So make sure you get out there and check out her show on Rock Rage Radio, Shaking the Rafters with Michelle. All right, so. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. 
All right. So before we get into the recap of this weekend's events, I want to do this crank it up spotlight with one of the bands that was performing the band Babylon Shakes. So they're from Virginia and they classify themselves as kind of a sleaze, glam and hard rock band. And I think that's pretty accurate based on their latest album and based on their performance that I saw. They've got a really cool kind of 70s vibe to them, but their music is very blues-based, very riff-oriented, and definitely uh, a little bit of sleaze and sunset strip mixed up in there. The singer, to me, sounds a little bit like a Tamey Down from Faster Pussycat, but they don't really necessarily sound like Faster Pussycat. So, very cool band. They just released this album called Exit to the Velveteen Lounge. Check out this song called Sin Parade.
right, so before we get into this recap of the Rocklanta show, I wanted to bring on the man responsible for putting on the event, promoter extraordinaire, Mr. Bradley from Bradley Entertainment. What's up, brother? What's up, man? How you doing this morning, brother? We are doing awesome, man. We figured, hey, a week, week and a half is long enough recovery time to let it all sink in. And I got a bunch of notes. I want it to go through each day, but I want to get your opinion on uh, the weekend's events here in Atlanta. And let's just start where we start with everybody that comes on the Growing Up Rock podcast, which is where did you come into rock and roll how did you get turned on to rock and roll what was your first experience with it well i mean i'll I'll give you the backstory but first of all i want to know who told you a week and a half to two weeks was long enough to recover that's what i want to know (laughs) (laughs) i'm recovered hell i didn't have any stakes in the game i enjoyed everything so i only needed a few days to recover I'm still on blood pressure medicine, but I'm doing okay, I guess. Yeah, I I, I saw several posts that said, yeah, I'm going to need to take about a month off. I'm going to need to go into hibernation for the next two. I think when I saw you leaving the venue on the last night, I actually think I saw twitching going on. I'm not sure. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, it was was asses and elbows out of that venue, man. I just... I knew, I really needed to get out of there and let my hair down, so to speak. I mean, my, I keep my hair short nowadays, but I really needed to let my hair down after that one, man. It was nothing bad. It's just, you know, months of build up and then, you know, the exhaustion of the two days on end with hardly any sleep. I mean, it, it was kind of rough, man. But I, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that later on, man. I don't want to get off topic. <laughs> we'll definitely cover all the ins and outs and all the highs and lows that went on that weekend, but... Take us back to a young Brad Lee. When did we get into rock and roll? Oh, man. Well, um, you know, I still am a young Brad Lee, but I'll, I'll, take you back. <laughs> I'll take you way back to the beginning. You know, the honest truth is, you know, I have, for those of you that don't know, I do have a twin brother named Brian. So my brother and I were kind of, the, you know, the babies of the family and a few little cousins that our older female cousins wanted to take out and joyride with and take the rock and bowl and that kind of thing. You know, I had, I had an aunt who was my godmother, who's only 12 years older than me. So she was driving at the time. Um, I was about six or seven years old, and she had a, a IROC Camaro at the time. And she used to take my brother and I to rock and roll when we used to stay over at my grandmother's house. You know, she was still living at home at, at my grandmother's house, who was her mother, obviously. You know, she would take us out with her on Saturday night, and we would go down to the local bowling alley and do what used to be called rock and roll. But uh, for those of you that don't know what rock and roll was, and if you don't know, you must have been under a rock in the 80s. But rock and roll was when you go to a bowling alley and you bowl at midnight and they will play rock music videos like Headbangers Ball videos and, and stuff like that. I think that's a regional thing, though, Brad, because where I grew up down in the panhandle, we didn't have rock and roll. You guys are missing out, man. What we did, uh, granted, I'm a little, I'm a lot, probably a lot older than you, but when I grew up, for us, it was cruising the mall and cranking up the radio as loud as it could go and hanging out in the arcades. That was what it was for us. We didn't have any rock and bowl type thing going on. So I would have never known what that was. Oh, man. Maybe we got to bring that back and introduce that to you guys, man, down south, man, because it was, it was really a fun time. I mean, it was pretty much the same kind of scene, you know, like, 
everybody pulls up with their music blasting and goes inside and we just, you know, listen to, listen to music, watch music videos while you're bowling. And they would have like the, you know, the black lights and the balls would glow in the dark and stuff like that. Kind of like Cosmic Bowl is now, but right. just with music. Right. I mean, long story short, we kind of got into, got into it at an early age. You know, we're the little seven, eight year old kids in the backseat with the bowl haircuts, <laughs> you know, jamming out to, you know, Dr. Feelgood or, the Jersey album from, from Bon Jovi, you know, like shit like that, you know. So uh, I grew up with a, a large respect for music because my parents were really all over the place musically. You know, they had different, whatever mood they were in, they had different music to fit it. If my mom was cleaning the house, she had cleaning the house music. If my dad was out changing the oil in the driveway to his, his car or his truck, then he had, you know, oil changing music and, you know, cutting the lawn music and, you know, it just... Whatever, whatever kind of kind of mood you're in, you you listen to the music to fit it. Whether it be you know uh, Billy Joel or Lee Greenwood or Merle Haggard or Stevie Wonder or right. Creedence. I mean, you can see uh, just naming those couple that I'm all over the place musically. So, but uh, my preferred genre when I got old enough to choose my own music was uh, either like '80s pop, like you know, like I say pop, but like Michael Jackson, Hall and Oates, right. stuff like that, or it would be you know the '80s. 80s hard rock, yeah. Totally, totally with you now. Was there a particular hard rock band or song that you were like, you heard it and that really drove you down the rabbit hole to start looking into bands? Yeah, I mean, to me, and, and like I said, I got into it, you know, at an early age, but at the same time, old enough to have my wits about me and know what I wanted. You know, and uh, I mean, for me, it would probably either be Motley Crue or Rat or a combination of both. Yeah. Those were the first ones early on. I'll tell you a funny story. The first album that I that I kind of like fell in love with front to back was Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, I, I know that I know Motley Crue has, has great albums before that, but Dr. Feelgood was really the first one where I remember going, wow, like this isn't leaving, you know, the tape deck for a very long time. Mm-hmm. When I was in elementary school, about fifth or sixth grade at the time, probably sixth grade. And uh, I borrowed a, a tape from from my buddy. I'll never forget him for two reasons. Number one, he le- he was nice enough to let me borrow the tape like two days after it came out. So that's a huge commitment to let go of his tape and let me dub it. Because, uh, you know, I was I was broke. I didn't have a job back then in the sixth grade. No paper route, none of that shit. So I didn't have money to go out and buy something. And to ask my parents, buy me a Dr. Feelgood album with the parental advisory sticker on the front was like going to be unheard of you know what i mean right so uh he let me borrow to dub it and his name was stephen king that's his that's his name i'll never <laughs> forget it. That's, that's the second reason i'll never forget so um spelled the same way and everything so he lends me as dr feelgood and i'm in the bathroom and you know how like i'm standing at the urinal and you know you can't get a break from from in elementary school away from the teachers and stuff so your break was when you go to the bathroom so right. I tell him I got to go to the bathroom and I really don't have to go. I'm just kind of standing at the urinal like I'm going, but I got the cassette deck open and I'm, I'm looking in inside the jacket. I'm reading lyrics and checking out pictures and that kind of thing, you know? So I've got, I've got it in my hand at the urinal and as adolescents, you know, us boys aren't so good about flushing. So somebody had been in there before me and they hadn't flushed and I'll be goddamn if that damn cassette tape didn't slip out of the deck and fall right into that fucking urinal full of piss. <laughs> so, so now I wasn't gonna, you know, ask my parents. So now I go home and tell my parents the story because I got to replace the tape and I don't have any money. 
So now I got to tell my parents, hey, man, I ruined my buddy's tape. We got to go to record and tape traders and, and replace this tape that I, <laughs> that I dropped in a urinal piss full of piss, you know? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because this is a true story and it, it's a little off subject, but it's a little on subject. This is this uh, is the stupid shit that happens. So uh, when cell phones first came out, I had one of these flip phones, right? With the flip top. I'm in the bathroom and it's not a urinal. It's a flat out. It's a toilet. And I'm, I'm in the bathroom and I'm taking a piss and my phone rings and I start to answer it and you got to flip it. And at the same time, I was finishing up pissing and I flushed the toilet. Well, I went to flip the phone. The phone flips out of my hand, falls in the toilet just as the toilet flushes and away goes my, <laughs> my fucking cell phone. <laughs> You, you totally flushed the phone? I totally flushed the phone. <laughs> so, so the phone went at the same time. That's how fucked up that was. Oh, my God. Talk about timing, man. Holy shit. No shit, man. So, so I can identify with that whole Motley Crue tape down the urinal thing. I get it 100%. So that's your story and how you got into rock and roll. How did you end up becoming a promoter and not a musician? Like a lot of a lot of us, I think, were aspiring musicians. We either wanted to be guitar players or singers, but you ended up somehow as a promoter behind the scenes. Were you a failed musician? Uh, in my own mind, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, we all we all aspire to be something. To be one hundred percent honest my jump shot's a lot better than my high note. You know what I mean? I always kind of wanted to, like, you know, I, I think I have lead singer qualities as far as, like, being a people person and wanting to be out in the front and that kind of thing, you know? But I, I just never had the talent for it. So I, I played a lot of basketball and stuff growing up. Yeah. I was more of an athlete than I was a musician. Yeah. You know, I never really had the talent for it, and I knew it. You know what I mean? I'm not coordinated enough to play guitar. So that's out. Plus, I'm left-handed, and nobody wants to take the patience to teach me. So, you know, a left-handed jump shot's a lot easier than playing guitar left-handed. Let's just put it that way. Hey, look, you're no different than any of us. I was an absolute prodigy guitar player with the lights off and when I was asleep. Nobody could touch me. I, li- I literally gave Eddie Van Halen a run for his money in my own mind. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, dude. I mean... Man, it, look, man, if stages had showers on them, everybody would be a lead singer. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> if, I could, if I could pull my if I could pull my car out on stage and sit in the driver's seat and sing, I'd be fine. But <laughs> but having to uh, having to sing into a microphone in front of everybody without the acoustics of a shower or the uh, or, or the comfort of of the driver's seat of my car, I'm no good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great way of looking at it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> So you do promoting, but I also noticed that you do some A&R for High Vol Music. Is that right? Yes, I do, yeah. Bill and I go quite a ways back. When Bill was kind of resurrecting High Vol Music and kind of building this talent roster uh, over the last couple of years of rebuilding, I should say, um, Bill and I both sat down and, and kind of had a discussion. And he said, you know, we've done stuff together before, but I kind of wanted you to take a more involved role with Highball, and I was really honored that he asked me. Uh, we sat down and we had a business meeting, and given the fact that I already work with a lot of the musicians anyway, uh, it just kind of made sense. You know, he felt like I could bring a lot to the table from a business ethic standpoint, 
you know, I felt with the with the reputable name of Highball, uh, it just made sense for us to work together. We are already friends, so now we're building that business relationship and working together on Highball to uh, to bring on some some interesting new talents and also to take care of the artists that are already on the label. Some have stayed, some have gone. You know, some have had different opportunities where they've they've left, and then we've also signed new talent like Babylon Shake, who is part of Highball Music as well. So, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting things going on here for the next year, year and a half that we have planned that we want to do. And um, Highball is also branching off and kind of uh, getting into the more of the booking aspect as well to where um, it's going to be its own separate entity, which is a, a booking agency as well, so we can book some concerts. So Highball Music Concerts is also underneath the Highball umbrella, if you will. Yeah, that's awesome. And so how do you end up doing promotion then? Promotion, I'd love to say it's something I just kind of fell into. But to be honest, not to say that everyone in the industry is a fanboy, but everyone in one way or another, and there's different levels of it, got into it because they were a fan of the music first. Nobody in their right mind or with, you know, an adequate amount of sanity would get into this industry not appreciating music in the first place. That's kind of the first thing. I got into the music side of things, the music industry, um, the business aspect of it, just by being a fan first. Just like anybody else, you know, we've all been to shit shows where, you know, either, you know, the band doesn't get paid or the promoter doesn't really give a shit about what kind of show he puts forth because he's there to take pictures or there to get drunk with friends or party or whatever. Part of it was, I've always had an interest of breaking down stereotypes. I mean, for those of you that, you know, maybe have not met me or haven't seen me, I am a heavily tattooed fella. You know, I have a lot of tattoos <laughs> and stuff. And, you know, if I if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, man, you're nothing like I thought you'd be. Like, I guess the perception is that everybody with a bunch of tattoos is an asshole or whatever, you know what I mean, or a jerk or, you know, egotistical. Brad looks like he belongs in kicking Valentina as opposed to promoting them. <laughs> I told you, man, I, I'm going to be the gazoo player. I told you that, man. <laughs> I, I'm going to be a five piece. I have double duty on the kazoo and the and the triangle. Yeah. Those are my two my two instruments. So yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> breaking news: We broke it on the grown up grown up rock podcast yeah. that Bradley is is now part of kicking Valentina, and he and he doubles as kazoo and triangle. So. <laughs> <laughs> that'll br- that'll bring oh, a new uh, a new um level and a new um should we say flavor to kicking valentina's music i'm sure I, I mean just imagine the creative possibilities man when you add a triangle and a gazuto man. I mean, it's like it's crazy <laughs> that's gonna be fun so, to, that's um, gonna be fun to hear but yeah continue uh so it really ought to be Jimmy because he's really good at blowing. So oh, he's here all week, folks. Jimmy, <laughs> I, you know, Jimmy, I'll have you on to respond to that at some point. But uh, yeah, you're just gonna have to uh, grin and bear that to, one. You'll you won't need to have more, man. He'll be shouting that shit from the heavens, man. You, you'll hear about it. Oh man, I, I own a couple, man. That scoreboard is so lopsided, we won't even talk about it. All right. Um, you know, there really isn't a, a short answer. So, so I had a vision of how I saw the industry, you know, five years from now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what are we going to do? Are we going to let it die off or are we going to try and improve it? So, we started building a team, kind of doing some research, getting some ideas together. 
and I was doing some some bookings behind the scenes before Bradley Entertainment was actually a company to just kind of, I don't know, getting my feet wet, so to speak, and kind of trying it out to see if it was something that I really wanted to dive into. And uh, I was also a truck driver at the time and also working as a tattoo artist, too, uh, at a tattoo shop there in the Baltimore area. And it just so happened I got injured um, at my truck driving job, and I sat on the couch for about 13 months. wasn't sure if I would ever go back to my truck driving job, so I needed to figure out a way that, hey, if this if this goes south and I can't return, that's, that's kind of how I was like, you know what, let's take this music thing to the next level. Let's come out from behind the curtain. Let's actually make it a company. Let everybody know that I'm the driving force behind this company, and this is what I want to do, and this is my vision for it. We developed a mission statement and then came out and started booking shows, and the first major show we did was uh, Sleazy Slimy Sunday 1 a couple years back, and that was on the tail end of M3. And, I mean, it went over it went over pretty well. It wasn't what we wanted it to be, but, you know, the first show out the gate, I mean, I'm pretty proud of it, and it's just grown from there. That's, you know, kind of a roundabout how I got started and everything without going into, like, an hour-long worth of detail. <laughs> That's a great overview. I was a tour manager for many years in my youth, and so I've dealt with really... Bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've dealt with really sleazy promoters, and I've dealt with a lot of great promoters over the years. And I mean, you know, I've been all around the world. I've done festivals in Europe and, and uh, festivals here in the States and clubs in the States and, you know, sheds in the States. So I've done a really full gambit of all the different sides shows and I learned a lot from that period of time and I have to say I'm pretty uh, impressed with the fact that you put out there before this show even went off that you you weren't going to be drinking during a show you were going to be solely focused on making sure this weekend happened and went off and you held true to that never once did I see you go against what you said and you know that's that's respectable. I respect that. I have to say, most promoters, unless your name is Bill Graham, <laughs> most promoters don't have a following. And for whatever reason it is, and you and I are fairly new friends, so I don't, that's why I'm asking you these questions because I don't know a ton about you, but you have a following out there that people seem to gravitate towards you and towards your events. So people, and whether it's whether it's fans or whether it's bands, like I, I told you going into this thing that I was pretty friendly with a lot of the bands that were on this bill. I was pretty friendly with the guys in Tor Tor. I was pretty friendly with the guys in Denman and XYZ. I knew a lot of these guys that were in these bands. And whenever I sort of uh, nonchalantly talked about this show leading into it with some of these guys, there was nothing bad for any of them to say. So I wanted you to know that up front. Well, I mean, I, I greatly appreciate that. And thank you for the kind words. Fair enough. So let's get into Rocklanta, man. I'll ask you flat out. Overall, how do you feel this weekend went in Rocklanta? It was the first inaugural Rocklanta festival show, whatever you want to call it. Overall, in your mind, success, not a success. I mean, the short answer to that is success. You know, like I'm, I'm very, I'm very pleased with it for it being the first event, and to be 100 percent honest, one of the first events of its kind in in Atlanta in a very, very long time. Yep. 
you know, I think the last one that was probably similar uh, was probably Farm Rock a couple of years back. But That's 100% true. Yeah, I mean, there, there's shows there, don't get me wrong. I mean, Scully does a great job of bringing talent through Atlanta. But, I mean, as far as being like a two-day event with numerous bands on the bill and, and not, you know, just two or three on like a on Friday or Saturday night type of deal, I feel like it was a, a success and it went well. I mean, was there is there some stuff to work on? Absolutely. You know, there's a couple things that, that I don't feel when it's planned or I feel like we could tighten up a little bit. But overall, the bands were happy and the fans were happy. Uh, was it a sellout? No. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, what more can you really ask for for, for the first year of that? I mean, I'm, I'm very pleased with it. A lot of the feedback on social media and everything was good. I honestly haven't seen a whole lot of negative comments, maybe one or two. You know, when you put five, fifty, six hundred people in the venue, whatever the numbers were, you know, and you only get two or three negative negative comments or negative feedback. I mean, you got to be happy with that. Yeah, and I mean, people came from all over the world for this event. I mean, I met people that flew in from Australia for this event. So, I mean, yeah. it was a it was a pretty big deal. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was it was a really good mixture of newer and sort of already established hard rock bands, you know, because a lot of these bands, I mean, the honest truth is a lot of these bands, nobody outside of particular region has ever heard of, you know, I mean, bands like Kickin' Valentina and Babylon Shakes and Denman and Eastside Gamblers. These are bands that are playing, but they're fairly new and, Kick and Valentina, they get around quite a bit, so probably they might be a little bit of the exception, but bands like Babylon Shakes and Denman and Eastside Gamblers, they're really regional to a specific area. Both Denman and Eastside Gamblers are Nashville bands, Babylon Shakes a Virginia band, and so, you know, not a ton of people know about them as with like a Warrant or a Tortora or XYZ. These bands are established. They're from the 80s and early 90s they've had videos out they've had major albums out so i mean these bands are are sort of established and so i thought it was a good mixture of that and people still came out to support that which was really cool i mean i think i think that's that's really important you know especially this day and age right now i mean we have um we have bands like yt out there doing their 45th anniversary tour you know nobody's going away tomorrow but it's getting to the point, you know, very few bands are going to be on their 50th and 60th anniversary tour. So it's important that we look at these up and coming bands. And when I say up and coming, that's not to, uh, to make light of their body of work thus far. It's just to say that, you know, there's, there's up and coming bands like Babylon Shakes and Demon and even Kicking Valentina who has had, you know, regional success, success in the States and also success overseas. I mean, they've been overseas numerous times and they're going again this year. You know, it's it's important to kind of begin that passing of the torch process, you know, and then there's another thing that we'd like to do is kind of getting some of these bands that haven't haven't reunited to reunite. Like, I've been beating down the door with Sleeves Bees trying to get them them back together, even if it's just for a one-off. In order to, to book a decent show and to keep it interesting, you kind of have to be a student of it, you know, and kind of listen to the fans and listen to the buzz and know what they want. Pay attention to these groups on, on social media sites and on Facebook and stuff like that. And, you know, listen to what the people want and the people are never going to lead you wrong. You know, the people are the ones, you know, buying the tickets. Yeah. So why, why not listen to them? You know what I mean? Like if they're telling you, Hey, if you book this band, I will be there. 
and then you you don't book them, but then you bitch that nobody came to see them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, how's that work? You have to pay attention. You have to listen to people, and as long as you do that, they'll never lead you wrong. You know, at least they haven't they haven't led me wrong yet. Brad, that so. just makes too much sense. Uh, why would you ever want to do that? It really is that simple, man. <laughs> I mean, why would you ever want to do man, that? I mean, come on. That's... We're not splitting atoms, man. We're not splitting <laughs> atoms. This isn't no alphabetical math equation. Like this is, it is what it is, dude. It's very, it's a very simple business, man. Yeah. You know, do you deal with, you know, headaches once in a while or bad apples or bad seeds once in a while? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, you got to take the good with the bad, but I mean, it, it's a simple business, man. Nice shit. All right. So the day one event kicked off. Uh, with a band that I'd never heard of before, and I didn't even know they were a local Atlanta band, uh, to be honest, which tells you that I need to get out more here in my own hometown. But ODD, <laughs> where and how did these guys come on your radar? The answer to a lot of questions about the Atlanta area and the Atlanta scene, the answer is going to be because of Kicking Valentina. You know, I, I work with Kicking Valentina a lot, uh-huh. and those are my brothers. Okay. You know what I mean? We, they started the band when when I also started my company. So we, we all kind of blossomed together. And okay. they were playing a show with, with LA guns, with Tracy's guns uh-huh. before Tracy and Phil got back together. So long story short. So it was, uh, it was Tracy's guns, enough's enough, kicking Valentina and ODD okay. actually opened the show. Okay. And this, this has been two and a half, three years ago, right. maybe. After ODD played, we got into XYZ, and we had recently seen XYZ. Both Brad and I had recently seen XYZ on the Monsters of Rock cruise. So this was the yeah. this was the third time I'd seen XYZ in literally probably the last two months. And they're just a solid band. They did a great job. Uh, Grown Up Rock recently released an episode where we talked to uh, both Terry and Pat from XYZ. If you haven't checked out that episode, make sure you go check out the episode with Terry and Pat because it's a fun conversation with those guys. And XYZ is awesome, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I've been a fan of theirs for a very, very long time. And I've actually been wanting to work with them for a while. When I first saw them, I was on the Maiden Voyage of Monster Rock, believe it or not, back in 2012, I believe it was. You know, that was the first time I had seen them. And then they played uh, M3 that year, yeah. um, right after that. So, you know, I've seen them probably about maybe eight or ten times over the yeah. years. XYZ is a class act, man. I mean, it, they were such an easy band to work with, and it, it just made sense that now that, you know, they got back together and everything. They took a little bit of a hiatus because, you know, Terry had some other projects he was working on. Of course, the Great White thing and all that stuff. Um, we finally, finally got to work with XYZ, so that's, that's one that we can cross off the bucket list. And, you know, any betting man out there, being I'm from Vegas, will tell you that it's likely not the last time we'll work with XYZ. Either. Yeah. Good guys. And then that brings us to Firehouse. Now, I don't know if I've ever seen Firehouse live before. I'm well aware of the band. Don't care about the ballads and the hits. I'm more of a, I like the deeper tracks. That first Firehouse record was really, really good. How was your experience working with Firehouse? Had you worked with those guys before? How did that go? I have not worked with them before. This is my first time working with Firehouse. I've seen Firehouse live several times. Uh-huh. And when I was back in Baltimore on the East Coast, I made the, the trip up to Raleigh, North Carolina a bunch of times. They play Raleigh quite a bit in the Charlotte area. So, um, I, you know, I've seen them over there. As far as 
you know, working with them, they were very professional. I didn't really have any trouble out of firehouse. Okay. There is a banner too that I did have some issues with on the bill. That's come to be expected, but as far as firehouse goes, man, they were you know, good. we really didn't have any, any issues out of firehouse, man. They were, they were truly professional and they put on a great show. And, you know, everybody was happy to have him there. CJ couldn't be a nicer guy. So but yeah, my personal feelings about uh firehouse and the show at Rocklanta is they sounded great. So CJ still uh, sings amazing today. Bill was laying down the guitar and I mean, they, they sounded great as a band. I just felt like, and this is, all these opinions are completely my own opinions personally. All right. You're entitled. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, rock and roll is a personal thing. And I like Firehouse. I like the tunes. I just felt like the performance for me was meh. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It didn't blow me away. I just, I, I you know, I guess, I guess I enjoyed the music. I, I That's really all I can say about it, you know? I'll tell you what, man, like there are certain artists that will remain nameless that some of them don't have it anymore. And they're kind of holding on to that thread, that last thread of, all right, let me ride, ride this to the end and milk it for all it's worth. Some guys still have the pipes and some guys don't. Yeah. CJ has one of the most outstanding voices. Yeah. I mean, to, to be around this many years and I mean, he is, Agreed. he's still doing the damn thing. Man. His voice has some longevity in it for sure. So there's no argument from me in that way. They, they sounded amazing. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and then, and then that brings us to the next band.
this is a band that drove everybody completely batshit crazy. Right before they go on, I see Brad in the audience and, and Brad looks at me and goes, it was after the show, actually. It was right after they got done. But Brad looks at me and goes, I don't want to be the one that said I told you so. And I was like, holy shit. Wow. That's all I could say is wow, because... We just played a song called We Don't Celebrate Sundays, which was in their set. Oh, I love it. But Hardcore Superstar, uh, you were lucky enough to bring this band over from Sweden. And I've said it before, Sweden is, I, you know, I, it almost makes me want to move to Sweden because there are so many, um, hotbed, right? so many hotbed, amazing <laughs> bands in Sweden right now. And we're huge fans of Eclipse over here on the Grown Up Rock podcast in fact that yep. was what got us yep. on the monsters of rock cruise but yeah another monster rock cruise band yeah yep. but hardcore yep. superstar were amazing live and i really didn't know a ton about them but they were just they blew me away and this song we don't celebrate sundays it was in the set and it was one of the for me it was one of the more memorable tunes in the set but they were unbelievable yeah, man, between Reno Celebrate Sundays, Last Call for Alcohol, and Electric Rider. I mean, it was just like those three songs, the whole set was good, don't get me wrong, but those three songs were kind of like just anthems, dude. Like, people in the crowd were just like bouncing up and down and throwing arms everywhere. I mean, chanting along to the chorus. I mean, it was outstanding, dude. Like, just the vibe in there is something I'll never forget. Like, yeah, we weren't sold out, but the people that were there, Man, everybody was just floored. The people who knew were excited before they went on yep. because they're like, oh, we know what's coming. The people who didn't know were excited with anticipation. And during the set, everybody in there, whether you were a believer or not, was catching the fucking hardcore superstar bug, dude. Like, it was the hardcore superstar flu in there. Yep. Everybody was catching Yep, it. I was anticipating it because I'd heard so much about it, so I was excited to see it and... It made me a believer. I went out the next day and I purchased, I think, four or five of their records uh, right off the bat. You know, for the VIPs, we had a separate room in vinyl in this separate separate part of the venue that was kind of closed off to the, the general public. Yeah. During the Hardcore Superstar set, I go in there just out of sheer curiosity because, like, anybody that's in here is like, I'm, I'm getting ready to throw them out of the venue right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> like... <laughs> So I go in there, and there's like 10 or 12 people in there, right? So I get up on a chair, and I make an announcement. And I'm going to put these people on blast, two of them, right? Because they're very close friends of mine. <laughs> Mike Byrocco <laughs> from, from South Carolina. Yeah, Monster's a rocker. And Casey Powell from Texas. We're in there shooting the shit. And I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing in here right now? Don't you know Hardcore Superstars on? They're both kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I never really got into them. I said, You've never seen them live. Get your ass out here right now. We walked out there. We walked down to like the first landing and there's like a guardrail there. So we're standing on the first, first tier level, if you will, uh, above the GA pit and we're leaning against the rail. And I was like, just watch one song and let me know what you think. So I'm like holding them hostage for like the first, first song that they're seeing, yeah. right? So after they're done that song, I look at both of them and I go, well, I think they stayed there the whole rest of the set didn't move, man. They were, they weren't even blinking. I cannot describe the amount of electricity in that place when Hardcore Superstar was playing. I just, I can't describe it. You bring up a good point, which is, I really, honestly, I believe that their music, because they have some diverse music, so I believe that their music probably isn't for everyone. 
you're either into them or, or you're not. But what I would do is yep. exactly what you did, which is I would encourage everybody, if you have the opportunity, is to at least see them live and find out what they're about live because they are definitely a band. And I mean, listen, this this goes through history with rock and roll. Kiss couldn't sell a fucking album until they put out the first Alive record. So go see the band live and see if you like it. If you don't like it after you see it live, then you're not going to dig it. And I get it. And that's okay because music's personal. But at least go check them out live because I didn't like everything that I heard on record before I saw them live. It's one of the best times that I can ever remember for live music right now. I mean, we have so many options, so many choices, yeah. so many bands coming back around. We have the whole nostalgic thing going. We got new bands coming up. I mean, it's just, it's the best time right now yep. for live music. No doubt. Get out there and support live music. I cannot say it enough. And then we get to who pulled the short end of the stick for the entire weekend. And unfortunately, that fell with Babylon Shakes simply because they had to go on at one something in the morning and they had to go on after Hardcore Superstar. Now, I stuck around because I wanted to see Babylon Shakes. I had a lot of interest in them. I thought the latest record that they put out, Exit to the Velveteen Lounge, is a really solid record. We played them on the Crank It Up Spotlight a little bit earlier in this episode. They turned in a good, solid performance, and the people that were there to see them, I think, enjoyed themselves. So would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, as far as, as, far as facing adversity, nobody faces adversity like Babylon Shakespeare. <laughs> we had two bands on the bill that probably would have been able to hold their own in a spot like that and being up against the wall, and that's Babylon Shakes and Demons. Yeah. I think either one of them could have held that spot very, very well, and Babylon Shake did hold it very well. Uh, I was a little bit nervous right after Hardcore Superstar because some of the fans cut out uh, a little bit prematurely, I should say. But then I noticed a lot of people coming back once Babylon Shake started playing. So they, they had a good crowd. The, the place didn't wipe out. I mean, there were still people in front of the stage for Babylon Shake. So, I mean, that's a testament to them to be able to hold the crowd like that, like they did. You know, a lot of people were ready to tap out and just call it a night. Yeah. And then when they, when they hit the stage, a lot of people came back, so they brought them back. Yeah. How uh, was Hardcore Superstar and Babylon Shakes? Were they both uh, easy to work with? I mean, Babylon Shakes, they better be. They're on highball. If they're not, then, <laughs> you know, I'm the A&R guy, so they got to deal with me directly. Yeah. You know what I mean? And my... My my rider is a lot worse than Babylon Shakes' rider. Let's put it that okay. way. Okay, <laughs> fair, fair enough. So, so no, no, man, Babylon Shakes is like simple, dude. Okay. I mean, like, like so, so simple. Like, I was hoping that would be the answer, but I wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth, so I decided I'd just ask yeah. flat out. And hardcore superstar, man, they were super easy to work with as well, man. Tommy, their tour manager was great. Christopher was great. Their uh, front house guy, I mean. <laughs> everybody was easy to work with, man. And and for those of you that were there, you know, I mean, they, they didn't have to come back on Saturday and hang out, but they came and hung out and everything and hung out in the crowd and were saying hi to everyone on Saturday when they didn't have to. I mean, they were just super easy to work with and so grateful that we brought them over. I mean, this was their only U.S. show this year. So um, to have them out here for one-off and play Rock Atlanta to be their only U.S. date in uh, 2019, I mean, that was a, a big crew for us and you know we were honored to have them out yeah, here so. right on 
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. What's up, guys? This is Dakota Denman, and you are listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen Michael. Turn that shit up.
then we get into day two, and day two kicks off with the band that you just heard, which was Denman. Denman from Nashville. We've interviewed Ben and Dakota before, and they're just uh, really, really nice guys. The entire band, super nice guys, and just a really great, talented band. They just put out a new record called Raw Deal. And they had Michael Wagner, who's done just about the soundtrack to my entire life. He produced the record, and it's just a really great, solid record. Denman's an interesting band because they have this mixture of really like classic hard rock, 80s metal type stuff. But then they're also influenced by bands like Metallica and some of the heavier bands. So they'll have a song that is just classic straight ahead hard rock, but then they'll have a song that's a little bit more thrashier, a little bit more heavier. And so the record kind of encompasses all that, which I think is kind of cool. And that's exactly how they are live as well. I, I love Denman. I thought it was a great way to kick off day two, especially at two o'clock in the afternoon, right? Yeah, I mean we've got we've got some some bands that are out right now that are that are newer bands that are really getting this fusion thing down really well. I mean, and, and you hit the nail on the head with them, and I mean they're they're you know a perfect fusion between like a, a thrash or a heavier band and some of this '80s hard rock stuff that we love. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that these guys were born about a generation and a half too late. I mean, if they were if they were up and coming in the in the '80s, you know, in the mid to late 80s, I mean, it, they would have been a monster. They're well on their way to, to being a monster now. Working with Michael Wagner, I mean, he doesn't work with just anybody. No. You know, so, I mean, that's, that's a testament to them right there, you know? Yep. Those guys couldn't be more humble, and stuff they're doing creatively is just insane, man. If they didn't open their mouth, and they didn't have drums, and it was just guys up there playing guitar, I mean, them guitars in that band are fucking ridiculous, dude. I mean, you want to talk about some shredders. Yeah. It's like a competition throughout the whole set right there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we moved on to uh, another Nashville band, which is Eastside Gamblers. And Eastside Gamblers is primarily Tony Higby. His daytime job for Tony is that he plays guitar in Tom Kiefer's band. And then his brother, Cody. They were a good, solid band as well. They're kind of a bluesy-based, uh, maybe heavily old Aerosmith influenced is kind of what I got out of it. That's a good comparison. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Maybe a little bit of Black Crows in there, too. Yep, yep. Yep. I saw a lot of good feedback from them. People who didn't know anything about Eastside Gamblers were really uh, impressed with the set and uh, walked away fans and... Uh, Props to those guys. They're, they've got a couple records out there. And uh, yeah, uh, I would say check them out if you're a fan of uh, 70s rock and roll. And, uh, you know, like Brad and I just said, uh, Old Aerosmith and Black Crows and stuff like that, right, right up your alley. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, the Tennessee movement, man, nobody in Tennessee can do anything wrong right now, man, whether it's Memphis or Nashville. I mean, a lot of these bands coming out swinging. We had a lot of Tennessee on this bill, especially on on Saturday. I mean, the first what four or five bands were out of Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you know, for Eastside Gamblers to come out there with the energy that they had, I mean, every band put out a ton of energy. I mean, yeah. front to back, it was it was nonstop. But Eastside Gamblers is one of those bands that not not a lot of people get an opportunity to see unless they're you know in that regional area. Yeah. So that was kind of a treat for everyone to get to get to see them and. 
you saw how it went. Like people were very receptive to it. I mean, they were fan friendly. They they got out in the crowd. I mean, they they're having a good old time. So if you get a chance to go see some of these bands, even if it's a band that you may look at and say, hey, I don't really know who that is. I'm not familiar with them. Don't let that shy you away, please. That's the worst reason to stay away from a band and not give a band a chance. I mean, every single band that you've ever listened to, I don't give a shit if it's Elvis Presley, Metallica. Every band or every artist was at one time a relatively new artist or somebody that no one knew. Every single person that you listen to, every song you've ever heard in your life, you gave them an opportunity and had never heard of them before, and you gave them that opportunity. Yeah. Just give somebody an opportunity. Invest five minutes of your time. Listen to one song. Yeah. If you don't like it, move on. It's not going to be for everybody. Like that music is personal. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But at least give them a chance. Give them a chance to hear it through and see what you think about it. It's not going. If it don't fit your style or fit your musical palette, it just don't fit it. That's fine. There's bands out there that I don't particularly care for either. There's bands I book that I don't particularly care for and don't have the ear palette for. Yeah. But I book them because other people may. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a great point, and I think it's also important to point out, you know, there were a lot of bands when I was growing up that I listened to that I didn't necessarily get on even the first or second or third listen. I had to spend time with those records, and, you know, some of those bands and some of those records became my favorite records of all time. But it sometimes it takes time, you know, whereas there are other times where you hear the first song and you're like, oh, my God, it's freaking great, you know. And so it's just music is just an opinionated thing. Like you were saying, the first time I, I heard the first EP from Kicking Valentina, I was introduced to Kicking Valentina by a couple ladies in North Carolina, mainly Kimmy Ernest, Liz Finch and Sidney Willis. Those three were the ones that kind of. Turn me on to kick around team. Right. So the first time I heard their EP, I was like, what is all the hype about? Like, I just, I didn't get uh -huh. it. You know, like this, this isn't for me or whatever. But the more I listened to it, the more I enjoyed it. You know, it's like sometimes stuff takes a little bit to grow on yeah. you, you know? And then, you know, from, from, you know, the super atomic to the imaginary creatures, I mean, it's like, you know, you can see the growth, you know? So, give a band a chance you know sometimes you got to give it two three listens before you grasp it but it maybe it didn't fit your mood at that point in time when you were listening to it always give it the benefit of the doubt man because a lot goes into creating this music so without it life sucks yeah agreed 100 percent. so then we get we get to our first snafu of the uh, entire event which is we ran into a <laughs> snafu that's a great word dude that's great <laughs> we, we ran into a, a drummer who couldn't quite get to the gig on time because of Atlanta traffic and uh, I live here full time in Atlanta and let me just tell you Atlanta traffic is no freaking joke and the drummer from Roxy Blue found that out because apparently he was late as shit getting to the gig yeah dude I mean I I guess like and nobody wanted to tell me until like until they were absolutely certain. They waited till the last minute to let me know, <laughs> and then we had to run around with fire extinguishers and put out fires. You know, Atlanta traffic will do that. You know, I mean, uh, depending upon where you're coming from, Atlanta traffic is terrible, dude. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's one of the worst in the nation. You know, we the only thing we could do. I mean, we're not going to shuffle the lineup around. The only thing we could do was was cut the set short. So unfortunately. You know, they had an abbreviated set, yep. um, but they made the best of it and they got out there and, and still did their thing, man. And I'm very proud of them for facing adversity in that, in that nature and being true professionals the whole way through. I mean, 
anybody else would have been bitching and moaning. And I didn't even see him arguing with the drummer when he, when he showed up, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things, you know, all right, you're running behind to make sure you get here safe, you know? So it was just one of those things, get here safe. We'll make the best of it when you get here. You know, Todd's a true professional. He did an awesome job. He was, uh, you know, he was operating on short sleep himself. And uh, I thought he put on a great show. And uh, I was happy. I I got to hear, uh, you know, Rob the Cradle. So I was happy. And they did their thing for a very short abbreviated set. You know, it's, it's all good. And keep your eye on them because they do have new material coming out. They're getting ready to release a, a new CD coming up here in the next couple of weeks. And we'll have Todd Poole on the show in a future episode to talk about the new music. Once they get that new music out and about, we'll, uh, we'll have Todd on and we'll, we'll talk to Todd. Uh, and then that moves us from one Memphis band to the next and on to tour, Torah. Love these guys. Super, super nice guys. And just, I love the band. Well, can, there's nothing more I can say about the tour tour guys. They're just good, good human beings. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I've told them to their face and I guess sometimes it kind of, I get a little over the top and sometimes I even get emotional talking about those guys, man. But the first time I ever worked with them was at the, uh, we did a holiday six pack show in Baltimore a couple of years back in December and, uh, you know, it had been the first time that they played Baltimore in 30 years ever since the, you know, the Hammerjack days. And they were super, super, super easy to work with. I mean, like one of the easiest bands I've ever worked with, you know, Chicken Valentina included. I mean, they were just, you know, professional from the word get go. They're, they're timely. You know, they're, they're just great guys, man. And like you said, good humans. You know, I love those guys to death, man. Not just, not just as a band, not just, you know, performance wise and as artists, but as people, man. They're just fantastic guys, man. Just, just really like the kind of guys that you could just sit there and shoot the shit with and never run out of topics. You don't even have to talk about music, just talking about life. I mean, they're great guys. Everyone in the tour, tour camp, man. When they, uh, when they put that hashtag out on social media, tour tribe, that's really what it is, man. Yep. I mean, they, they, they really have a way of making you feel like family. You know, Roxy Blue, very much the same way. I mean, you know, all, all those Memphis guys and Tennessee guys, I mean, it's just that, that whole Southern hospitality thing, man. It just, you really, when you're around those guys, you really feel like you're a part of something. So yep. kudos to them, man. Great guys. Yeah. And I urge you guys to go check out the new Tora Tora album, Bastards of Beal. It really, really is a great record. Oh, oh, oh. I, I think oh. it's a solid it's record. To, to anybody that says that all these bands are just nostalgic bands and, and don't have it anymore and can't put out new material and make it sustain itself, you know, and, and, and keep with the times. I have not listened to some of this new material for some of these new bands and the new Toy Toy album Bastards of Bill. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. So get out there and support some of this new kick ass rock and roll that these people are making. I mean, Tor Tor is not all about walking shoes. Great first couple of records there. <laughs> Wild America, one of my all time favorites. Surprise Attack, great record. But let me just tell you that Bastards of Beal, this new record they just put out, will most likely be on my top list of 2019. So go check that record out. Uh, easily. Easily. If it's not in the top three on everybody's list, then uh, somebody needs to be evaluated. Yep. So. All right. So that brings us to Lillian Axe. I don't think I've ever seen this band live. Uh, they were actually a uh, Gulf Coast kind of club band when I grew up on the Gulf Coast. So 
uh, I was familiar with the band. I just don't think I've ever seen them live before uh, this this past weekend. So uh, what do you got to tell us about uh, the guys in Lillian Axe? Their equipment is really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, anybody, anybody that saw me saw me outside. I was loading gear. I was I was doing it all, man. But uh, yeah, they they happened to pull up when I was outside, uh, giving a parking pass to I think it was one of the members of the tour tour or something. They they pulled up and uh, I actually helped them loading their gear. So you know, for those that don't know, Mr. Brian Jones. Mr. Dirty Outlaw Entertainment. Shout out to a fellow promoter, Brian Jones, the lead hand for Lillian Axe, is actually a promoter in the, uh, you know, down in the Louisiana area, down in that circuit down there. And, um, you know, we had, we had spoke before just as promoters, just kind of compare notes and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we've always had a, a very cordial relationship, business relationship. I uh, went and saw him down at 80s in the park. Uh, I think it was last year, a year before. Yeah. Uh, when we got off the Monster Rock Cruise, we did the 80s in the park thing the day after. Uh, drove down to Cocoa Beach and, uh, I think it was Cocoa Beach. Drove down there. One of them beaches down there in Florida. I don't know. I get them all mixed right. up. But, uh, yeah, we did, we did that whole thing and saw them there. And, uh, I was really impressed with their performance there. Um, they made, uh, you know, they made lemonade out of lemons down there. For those of you that were at 80s in the park know some of the stuff that went on down there. Um, uh, wasn't the most well run event. You know, they put their best foot forward and really, uh, in the face of adversity, I know adversity has been said a lot during this, during this, this interview here, but uh, I mean, really with their, with their back against wall, really, uh, really put their best foot forward. And, uh, that really impressed me on a professional level. So when it came time to book bands for this, they were one of the first bands that I reached out to to see if they wanted to be a part of it. And of course, graciously they accepted, you know, great guys to work with, man. Me and, me and Steve and me and Brian both had very good conversations over the weekend. Uh, candid conversations where just on a personal level, just mutual respect and very good guys. And of course you heard it here first, right? The singer for Lillian Axe is a promoter. Brad Lee's a promoter. So I sense that maybe, uh, he may be the second singer in kicking Valentina before, uh, the end of time. So, uh, his dream may be fulfilled before, uh, before you know it, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, th- I don't think I don't think uh, Chicken Mountain's current singer is going anywhere, yeah. and I don't <laughs> so, think he's sharing the mic going, with you he's either. Not allow- he's not allowed to. He's not allowed to. We're not allowing him to go anywhere. And I don't think he's sharing the mic with you either. But I'll tell you what. No, he's not, man. He's stingy, isn't he? He's, stingy. he's a stingy guy. <laughs> I don't know him like that. Only you do. But uh, that brings. <laughs> That brings us to Kickin' Valentina, which this this band, I'll tell you what. So here's my experience with Kickin' Valentina. I've seen them once before. I saw them open for Y&T, and I thought they were okay. It was my first experience, but let me say up front, I didn't know any of the music. So it's tough for me to see a band when you don't know any of the music because there's nothing for you to really latch on to. And they were opening up, so they were crammed on a small stage in front of Y&T's gear, and it is what it is. That's how it goes for uh, opening acts. So I didn't dislike them, but I didn't like them. I, did, I just, they were kind of myth, you know. But So getting to see Kickin' Valentina on a real stage in front of an audience that knew their shit, and especially after I'd had an opportunity to spend time with some of their records... And I knew some of the equipment. I will say, 
head and shoulders that they were way, way different. And granted, I saw them with a different singer. I did not see them with this new singer they got. So it was a different experience for me, and I got it. I understood why people gravitated towards this band, why they've got a lot of fans, especially in the Monsters of Rock cruise arena. A lot of those Monsters of Rock cruisers love kicking Valentina, and you and your wife were over the moon about this band. You guys really, really love and embrace this band. Uh, I saw I saw your wife down there in the photo pit just nonstop, you know, rocking and rolling. So, yeah, this band did a great job, and they had a great slot on the bill. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the whole thing with the slide on the bill, not touch on that. They had some uh, some business they had to take care of earlier in the day, so they couldn't do an earlier slot, so we had to move them up a little bit. So, you know, that's the reason for that. There was some uh, some going back and forth about why they're in the slot they're in. That being said, it's also an Atlanta show, and they're Atlanta's, Atlanta's golden child. You know what I mean? So they deserved that slot. They worked hard for that slot, so we felt the need to put them in that slot. So. I mean, that's all I'm going to say about the slot they were in. I mean, I'm happy they were in the slot they were in, and uh, people were were, uh, waiting all day for them. So it builds anticipation. As far as Angie goes, I mean, her second husband is the 4-0 guy. (laughs) (laughs) She absolutely absolutely loves kicking around Tina, man. She she goes apeshit crazy for kicking around Tina, man. I personally don't see what all the fuss is about. <laughs> <laughs> and, there, and there's Bradley no, knocking, kicking Valentina back down a notch. You love them? I can't, I can't let their heads get too big, man. I see that. The stages can only get them so big, man, you know? So, so I got, I got to keep them on, on a, on a halfway decent level. But no, like I, like I said before, and I touched on it before, when KB first got together, they were about maybe five months into the band. And um, I had an opportunity. They actually, they were playing a show in, in New Jersey that had got canceled. So I was tagged in a post by a mutual friend um, that asked if I would be interested in maybe bringing them to Maryland. So uh, a, a Maryland band, Toronto City Devils, was um, playing a gig at, at Hard Times in Frederick, Maryland. And it just so happened, I knew the, the, uh, the promoter and the manager that was running that, that, uh, that venue and who was promoting that show. So I reached out to him to see if he had an opening slot. And, you know, we brought Kicking Valentino on in that opening slot mutually. So um, that was my first interaction with them. And by the end of the night, I was going out on the road with them. So I went out on the road with them. Uh, we did a show at, at Dobbs in um, Philadelphia. Huge amount of history there. And Nirvana got an uh, early start there on the East Coast. That was one of their first East Coast dates way back in the day uh, when they first started touring over on the East Coast rich history in that place by the end of that night we had started talking about goals and what they thought some goals were and they were kind of giving me some goals and stuff like that not for nothing some of their goals were kind of small so i i said you know we need to start thinking about possibly playing one of these monster rock pre-parties and getting you guys out there in front of the monster rock crowd because i know they would go gaga so um lo and behold about a year and a half two years later they were on the on the pre-party for monster rock they had played one of the pool parties before Monster Rock, not an official Monster Rock pool party, but a pool party nonetheless in front of those fans. Played Farm Rock several times. So they're making their way through the circuit. Um, and now they're to the point where they've been overseas numerous times. Uh, just their body of work just speaks for itself. 
you know, the one thing that I guess people could say negatively about them is they have had some lineup changes. You know, Joe Edwards was a part of that band for the majority of the life of kicking around Tina thus far. Unfortunately, you know, in this business, yeah, not to make light of it or make excuses, but things happen. He was going through some things on a personal level that needed to be taken care of, and he had different creative opportunities come his way that, you know, he chose to step away from the band, and not for nothing. It's not me personally that he stepped away from. It was the band. So the bandmates can feel the way that they want to feel about it. I feel the way I feel about it. You know, they moved on. They got a gentleman from Wisconsin um, named Brian who was with the band for a couple shows. You know, he, he too had some things going on in his personal life with his, his, uh, his career outside of music. As you know, a lot of us have more than one thing that we do to kind of make ends meet. And he was no different. He was a, a pipe fitter, I believe, by trade. Things weren't working out, so he needed to provide for his family. So he needed to, to step away as well. So he left the band. Believe it or not, Mr. DK Ravel, who is now the lead singer, was approached by the band about five years ago before the band actually came to fruition and before they found uh, Joe. Uh, and the timing just, for whatever reason, just wasn't right. DK was in a different place creatively. Of course, Kiki Valentino was in a different place creatively. And for whatever reason, the talks and the communication just didn't gel. DK was doing his own thing with his band, uh, Bigger's Ball. And, uh, you know, he was also a lead singer for Jet Boy uh, for, for a hot minute there. So he was traveling well with them and he had a, you know, he had a working gig. Uh, he's always been the type to be doing his own gigs as well in California. He does a pirate radio variety show, uh, on the weekend. So he's always been, been working. So for whatever reason, logistically or timing wise, it just didn't, didn't seem to work out. We got to talking with a couple of fellows in, in KV and DK's name was brought up again. And I said, you know, DK's always been a friend of mine from the day I met him. You know, the first day I met him, uh, Miss Sidney Willis brought him to a tattoo shop I was working at in Baltimore. First day I ever met the guy, I tattooed his throat. So, I mean, that says something when the first time you meet somebody, you're tattooing their throat. Like, that's, that's a huge amount of, uh, of trust, trust, yeah. You know? Oh, shit. Yeah. So, uh, his band at the time, Beautifully Demolished, was playing a show down the street from the tattoo shop. And, uh, we just, that night, just instant friends, you know? I was doing some business with a band in Maryland, Saints of Rebellion, and they were looking for a lease in because their original lease in Kobe was, uh, had fallen fallen ill and couldn't be a part of the band anymore. So we called DK in for that. He came in, did an audition for that, was actually a part of that band. And then uh, a couple weeks later, things didn't work out and he ended up leaving. So you can see how like people come in and out of your life for a reason. You know, it's all for a reason. It's all for a purpose. And it may not make sense at the moment, but then it, it ends up making sense in the end. And that's kind of, you know, long story short, or a short story long, I should say. <laughs> That's kind of how DK got involved with this band. And, um, you know, I'm happy to say that now Kicking Valentina has a true front man. They're all fan-oriented. They're all out at the merch tables afterward. They're, the performance, they're all in the crowd. You know, they are just, they want to do everything they can to ensure that every one of their fans has the time of their lives. And, um, you know, they're not, I wouldn't say they're a party band because I think they're more accomplished musicians than that. But when they're on stage and when they're out and about, you really feel like you're a part of something special. So I really have a, a, a really a large spot in my heart is reserved for kicking Valentina and they know that and I've made that that public knowledge as well. So pick a tune to play for the listeners. <laughs> you know, it's kinda like asking me to pick my favorite kid or pick my favorite dog or whatever. But uh, you know, I I like just about everything that they put out. I am kinda partial, I will admit that. 
But uh, one of my favorite tunes from them is Devil's Hand. Devil's Hand. Give it a listen, people. Hey, how we doing? This is Jimmy Burdine, the drummer from Kickin' Valentina. And you were listening to Stephen Michael on Growing Up Rock Podcast. You need to crank that shit up loud.
right. That was a great pick. One of my favorites off their records as well. So kick ass. That was from Imaginary Creatures. So I believe that's the last release that they had out. They put that out in 2017, looks like. All right. So we haven't had a whole lot of drama. This two days has gone down pretty flawlessly. Not a whole lot of drama. You know, the guy was late for the gig, but we made up time. We're back on schedule. And now we get to Takedo. And Takedo, from from what I read, this was their only U.S. appearance in 2019. I had never seen Takedo live, so I was excited to see Takedo. And I thought they sounded amazing. Chris Green, the guitar player in Takedo, is a local Atlanta guy, lives here in Atlanta and plays with a bunch of different artists. But uh, Taiketo primarily is Danny Vaughn, the lead singer. He's the original guy in the band. It's basically his band, and he sounded amazing. How were they to work with? Was there any drama with those guys? No, no drama at all. Um, it just it makes me happy when things work out as planned. Um, last year at M3, uh, I came down to M3, and I was you know, kind of hanging out in the back back area or whatever, or in the in the Mr. Ted Poley, a good friend of mine, and uh, we we're backstage hanging out, and uh, Taiketo uh, just just got got done hanging out in the in the green room area, and they came busting through the door, and I had known uh, Jed, their keyboard player, for quite some time. Um, met him on Monster Rock Cruise quite a few years ago. I have been talking to Danny Vaughn and passing here and there. Uh, I don't know that before that moment that he put two and two together of who I was or whatever, you know, and, and what I did and that kind of thing. But I guess Jed had, had got to talking to him and kind of put a bug in his ear and I saw him like walking down the ramp. So I was talking to him and I invited him over to, uh, to Sleazy the next day to Sleazy three. And they had a prior engagement that morning at, at a good mutual friend of ours, uh, Pete and Glenda Sanchez's house. They were doing like a brunch, uh, acoustic jam over there. So, uh, Ted had already, unbeknownst to me, he had, he had, uh, he had already invited them to Sleazy 3 to actually take part um, for Danny to come out and sing a couple songs with Ted. So uh, I told them that, you know, not for nothing, I would like to get a chance to work with Taiketo, uh, the full band, in the near future. This was last last May. So lo and behold, we got to talking, and here they are. The opportunity presents itself to add them to Rocklanta. So we started negotiating and things like that, and we needed to get some visa stuff taken care of because uh, Jed had to get a, a work visa to come over and stuff like that, get a P1 for the artist. And visas are, are pretty difficult to come by. We had to get visas for Hardcore Superstar and for, for Jed from Taiketo. And it was it was a complicated process, but in the end, it was all worth it. Um, they were a pleasure to work with, phenomenal uh, stage presence. And like you touched on, man, Danny's voice is just, you know, I'll put him up there and Without giving him the number one spot, it's probably a three-way tie, but he's definitely one of the three. Like His, yeah. his voice is just so powerful, yeah. so amazing. And you can really tell when certain people really take care of their, uh, their instrument, their instrument yeah. so to speak. And Danny is definitely one of those guys that has been taking care of himself and doing preventive maintenance over the years. And, and you can tell when you when you watch him perform. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I really enjoyed Taiketo. They were uh, they were- yeah, just just as warm up, dude. Like I'm in the production office, and his uh, dressing room was two dressing rooms over from where the production office was. 
And I had to, <laughs> I'm probably like giving away secrets or whatever, giving away information I shouldn't or whatever. But I had to leave the production office and go over and just stand kind of outside the door and just listen, man. Cause it was, it was something to behold, man. I mean, just, just this warm up process. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Yeah. Wow. Singers are an interesting breed because some of them, like you just pointed out, Danny goes through this whole process and warms up. And some guys, uh, just like Ronnie James Dio, he used to just walk on stage and, and do his thing. There was no warm ups. There was nothing. Right. And so you never can tell uh, what it is about some of these singers, you know, and some singers, they'll warm up and practice for hours on end and still sound like shit. So, you know, you never know what you're going to get. But. <laughs> yeah. It works both ways, man. So yeah. <laughs> bottom line, I guess, is you got to know what works for you in your situation. Yeah. And he really has it down to a science. It sure. worked for Danny Vaughn for sure. They were one of my favorites the weekend. I would put them not necessarily at the top, but definitely top five or six bands that I saw this weekend. Taiketo was there. I really enjoyed them. Absolutely. And then that brings us to Dangerous Toys. And Dangerous Toys, I mean, they've been around for, for a while. I saw them open up for the cult on the Sonic Temple tour. It was the cult, Dangerous Toys, yeah. and Bonham on that tour and I saw him in a big arena and I don't remember a whole lot about the show. I remember that was the bill and I remember going to the show. That's about all I can remember. Cause that was back in mid to late eighties, I guess, but I had not seen them since then. So I was excited to see them in a smaller place. And I got to be honest, man, this band did not disappoint me. This band came and kicked my ass, in my opinion. I mean, I really enjoyed Dangerous Toys. I thought they were awesome. They're one of those bands that, like, you just, when they're playing, you expect to see bar stools flying <laughs> and glass bottles being shattered. And they're just, they're just a, a man's man's band. I mean, this is no simpler way to put it. And that's not to say that they don't have a strong female following because they do. I mean, Lord knows Miss Sidney Willis is probably one of their biggest, one of their biggest supporters, yeah. you know, but, uh, they, they're just from, from the word get, they're like, all right, once we hit that stage, we're kicking your fucking teeth in and we don't give a fuck what you have to say about it. And that's just, you know, that's kind of the way it was taken. I mean, it was from the word get, I mean, it was full steam ahead, no stopping, no nothing, you know? So, I mean, kudos to those guys, man. They're another band that just never quite got the respect they deserve, man. For whatever reason, people knew their material and they're aware of their material, but they're another one of those bands that just caught on just a little bit too late. You know, you got hot just a little bit too late. My co-host and I talk about this often on the show. This is a band that came out in 89. And in 89, 89, 90, 91, the tides of music are starting to change. And so, yeah, to Brad's point, this was another one of the bands in a super long list of bands that came out in 89 that were two, literally two years too late and they had great success with that first record that had scared and um you know teasing pleasing and all this shit on it that was great they had that and then they put out hellacious acre and nothing and so we're gonna play a tune that they played in their set and this is off their third record here's a song called pissed
That's it, man. Ass kicking rock and roll. I love this band. It's a band, like Brad said, put this band behind a whole fence of chicken wire and they'll feel right at home. That's it, the chicken wire. And you know what? I'm pissed. You know why I'm pissed? Because I specifically requested that they play one of my favorite songs that they've never played live. And you know what they did? They didn't do my song. What? And it pisses me off. Which one? So one day, I'm going to book Dangerous Toys and I'm going to pay them extra just to play my song. My favorite song by Dangerous Toys is Gypsy Black and Blue Valentine off Alacious Acres. She's a dancer. They played a new tune, which they hadn't done any new music in, in years, and they played a new song. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah, alert. <laughs> they played a new song, and I'll, I'll be honest, because I've never heard the song before. This is the first time I think they probably played it publicly, but I really liked the new song. I think it's called Something Horses uh, was the name of the new song, and so I hope that they have plans to actually put out a record at some point, but I enjoyed the new music that they played, which was just that single song, but I thought it was great. So hopefully they have plans to try to put something out because that was kick-ass. Well, I will, I will confirm it right now. Dangerous Toys is working on a new album. Awesome. So there you, there you go. <laughs> there you go. We're getting to the end of the night. Dangerous Toys played right before Warrant, and I have to only assume, and you can confirm or deny or choose not to say anything, but I can only assume that there was no drama with anybody that I've heard so far, and now we're at the last band of the night. So uh, I heard a couple of things from friends that were hanging out. So what what went on with Warrant? How were they to work with? You know, I mean... Be a hundred percent honest, man. You know there were some challenges there, <laughs> and uh, it's to be expected when you when you're dealing with headliners and you know bands of certain calibers. Contractually, everything has to be a hundred percent tight, and uh, there was some stuff that was overlooked. Um, I will take responsibility for that. Some of it was 
was due to me. Some of it was due to other things. But, um, you know, there, there were some challenges there. And uh, they came with their tour manager. Their tour manager addressed some, some issues with me. And by the end of the night, we had it all worked out to the point to where everyone was comfortable and everyone was back on the same page. But there was definitely some adjustments that needed to be made. And, uh, you know, say what you want. Like some people call certain headliners that are very particular. They call them divas or whatever. I'm not out here to call names or anything like that. But uh, I will say this. They were a challenge to work with. There were problems on their end that I don't feel were handled fairly. There were problems on our end that they probably don't feel was handled fairly. But at the end of the night, we all shook hands. There was no punches thrown. There was no bloodshed. There was no tears shed. We are moving on and we all had a, a decent time. All's so. well that ends well. And from my personal standpoint, I'd read some people that were like, you know, ah, they, I thought they were horrible, blah, blah, blah. I personally enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, I thought the the Dirty 30 was cool because they played the first record, you know, front to back pretty much, but they also played uh, a couple of great newer tunes. And, uh, you know, I think Robert Mason is an amazing singer. I think he does a great job. I, I enjoyed the show. I mean, I didn't think it sounded bad. I thought they were on point. I, you know, I mean, I've seen Warrant probably a dozen times at this point, both in the heyday with Janie and, uh, with, uh, I think I've seen, I think I've seen every version of Warrant. I never saw the, uh, Jamie St. James version when the guy from Black yeah, and Blue. I never had either. Yeah. I was just, I was just going to ask you if you no, had. Yeah. No, but I've seen every other version of the band and, you know, I thought, I thought they were, they were good. You know, I mean, there's nothing, I don't have anything bad to say, I guess is my point. I enjoyed my time and at the bottom at the end of the day, that's kind of what I do is I say, did I enjoy it or did I not enjoy it? And I enjoy it. They, that last record they put out louder, harder, faster, that record made my top 10 in 20, uh, 2017, I think is when that record came out. That record made my top 10 because I thought it was a great record start to finish. So I'll tell you, I'll take you back to, I believe it was 2014. When Rockaholic came out, man, and that was Robert's first yep. first album with the band, you know. And I think front to back, that was a great fucking album, it man. Is. Rockaholic is an awesome album. If you haven't, if anyone out there hasn't checked that out, man, give that a listen, man. I mean, they they've played a couple of the songs live and yep. stuff, Dusty Revenge and stuff like that. But when it's time for anniversary of Rockaholic, I hope they do that front to back because I I would definitely be interested in seeing that show. I mean, Rockaholic is. It is. I think Rockaholic's a great record, and I think Louder, Harder, Faster was a great record. Both Robert Mason records are good, solid, new rock and roll records from Warrant. For me personally, these were my favorite performances of the weekend. Now, I thought everybody turned in a good performance. Don't get me wrong. So these are just the performances that kind of stood out to me personally as a music fan, and that's really all this is about. And this is in no particular order either. Dangerous Toys, Taiketo, Hardcore Superstar, Tor Tor, Denman. Those were my favorites of the weekend. And that's not to say anything ill about any of the other bands. Those are just the performance personally that stood out for me. So there you have it. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I think that's a good opinion too. I mean, those, those are definitely strong performances from the weekend. I mean, you know, everybody's got their, their favorite two or three. But I think overall, putting Rocklander in a, in a nutshell and throwing all the bands in the mixing pot, I think 
think that, you know, it was a great show and it went over without a hitch. You know, a lot of people have been reaching out to me for interviews and accolades and things of that nature and congratulate me on a successful rock writer. But I want people to know it's public knowledge. It's on the event poster. This was not only a Bradley Entertainment event, but this was also a Travel One Entertainment event. And we were partnered with Travel One as well. And Travel One is a lesser known entity. There's no doubt about that, but they are a new entity that had just started um, this year. This was actually their first event. And we decided to pair up with them for a couple different reasons, but we felt like it made sense. The people that run Travel One Entertainment have a background and a knowledge of this industry and this environment. So we felt like it made sense. Um, I kind of had more of the following and they had some of, some of the knowledge that I didn't have. So I felt like it made sense to pair up and kind of complete the equation, so to speak. So I want to say thank you to the Travel One family for allowing me to be a part of it. And we were honored to partner up with them and be a part of this event for Rockland. I'm not able to answer the question that a lot of people have been asking if there's going to be another Rockland next year. We're not there yet to make that kind of, uh, that kind of decision. But speaking from the first year for Rockland, I feel like it was a success. And I just want to make sure that I say thank you to everyone that's involved from the artists to the fans that support it, to Travel One Entertainment, to the staff that Travel One brought on, to the staff that BLE had there. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone that was involved and thank you to the media and the press that given us the opportunity to play the artists get artists on for interviews, get myself on for interviews, and to put the word out to make sure that we put our best foot forward to make sure we have a successful event like we had. So thank you. That's awesome. That's a great way to close this thing out. And I made light of Tribal One Entertainment at the uh, top of the podcast because I, I said, as a local Atlanta person, I had never heard of Tribal One production. And so I just kind of said Tribal One production, or as I affectionately refer to them, a.k.a. the investors. <laughs> <laughs> because because it always takes investors with events like this, and so that's kind of how I referred to Tribal One Entertainment. It does, but at the same time, Tribal One's investment was not just monetary either. They busted their ass and put in hours uh, sitting with me on the telephone on conference calls, assisting in contract negotiations, assisting in visas. They brought some of their own staff here to assist in uh, you know the behind-the-scenes stuff from hospitality and things yeah. of that nature. And we were all there to talk each other off ledges at various times throughout the last couple of months to plan this event. So uh, it wasn't just a, a monetary investment, man. They really gave, as all of us did, a, a certain amount and portion of our personal life uh, that we sacrificed, whether it be time with family and friends or, you know, uh, other things that we all sacrificed to make sure we made this happen. So I definitely want to make sure I thank them for that. Absolutely. Well, overall, it was a successful weekend. We had a great time. We appreciate the way that you treated Growing Up Rock. So, Brad, thanks for that. Yeah, we look forward to something in the future, hopefully. And let's have you back on the show at some point in the future where we can just shoot shit and talk about rock and roll because it sounds like we got a lot of rock and roll in common. Oh, absolutely, man. And it's been a pleasure working with you guys at Growing Up Rock as well. Just started months ago, and then uh, we had a follow-up in Vegas when you came to Vegas, and then we got some time on a Monster Rock cruise together. So this has been a great start to a, a beautiful business relationship. I mean, not only do I consider you a bro and a friend, um, it's also a great um, 
you know, business opportunity for growing up rocking for Bradley Entertainment. So I thank you for having us on the show. And we look forward to getting on here and shooting the shit with you some more here in the near future. That's it, man. I appreciate your time. And we are out. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 